Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Well, hello. This is Craig McConnell, and this is the Ransom Heart podcast for this week. And uh, welcome. I hope these are enjoyable, encouraging, and enlightening for you. Um doing something a little different today. I'm actually in our studio alone. John's not in on this session. And I'm uh, doing something I feel very vulnerable uh, doing. I'm actually going to be reading to you some stories that I've written. Some of these stories um, in this series of readings you can find on my blog. <laughs> If you go to ratsofheart.com, you'll see that there's a Craig's blog and a John's blog, not necessarily in that order. And uh, some of these stories can be found there along with others, and uh, some are simply stories that I'm hoping will be put together in a book someday. I'm kind of constructing that right now. As you heard in a previous podcast, we talked about my writing and, ah, how uh, personal, vulnerable that feels. And uh, so I'm feeling that now as I um, read this particular journal entry that I wrote that I gave the title, Giving What We Don't Have. We live with a grievous void. Much of what God desired for us as children can only come through our parents. Growing up, We've all received wounds and self-sustaining messages that bloom into deep agreements. We view ourselves as scarred, broken, damaged, and crippled, and we are. The void, the shame is real, it's deep, it's powerful. Our wounds, their messages, the impact seems lasting, and it often feels like the truest thing about us. Our every breath is a desperate attempt to relieve, to lift, appease the shame, self-contempt that fills each day. Such is the effect of our woundedness. And somewhere along the way, we find God, and we find ourselves parents. And to our children, we give that which we never received. It's glorious, it's strong, compassionate, deeply true, merciful and kind. It speaks more truly of who we are than the haunting messages of our wounds. My wife, Lori, went into our seven-year-old daughter's room to tuck her in and say goodnight. It was the usual custom. Megan would have her mom rub her back, her shoulders, her arms, with a repeated encouragement and gratefulness. Oh, Mommy, keep doing that. That feels so good. And one night, out of the blue, she asked Lori, Did Papa, referring to Lori's dad, Did Papa rub your back at night, Mommy? It was all too short of a pause before Lori said, No, no. 
Papa never rubbed my back. Megan's response was to insist that they change roles and places, and she began to give Lori a back rub, and Lori wept for what she never had. A friend, Jenny, at times doubts her heart is good. Her wounds, their messages, all speak of her being damaged. It's hard to see over the edge of our deep-seated self-contempt, and thus at times that's all we see. After sharing a bit of her self-contempt, she started sharing about her two children, her love for them, their special times together, and the joy being a mom brings her. I asked her where her ability to be such a good mom originates from if she's so damaged. She was quiet, and then she saw it. Something good abides within her. Something good abides within us. Despite the wounds and the ceaseless messages that play and replay in our soul, something good abides within us. And for many of us, it surfaces in our parenting, in our heart for our children. They pause. Wait. Giving what we never received? What does the fact that we're giving something we never got say about us? It's true. We're image bearers. We're new creations. We're new people with good heart. There's another message, a truer voice, a higher opinion of who I am. There is life, deep healing. Maybe all that God has whispered into my soul is true. Indeed, we have something to give. In our parenting, we see more clearly what's true about us than we do from the haunting messages of the wounds from our parents. That's a reading uh, that uh, I wrote in my journal a while back, and it's just true that so often the work that God has done deep within us is seen in how we love and relate to others in ways we never experienced ourselves. We really can give that which we never had ourselves. You know, just another journal entry that um, that I scribbled out that just illustrates that to me vividly. I'd like to read as well. Um, the context or the backstory for this journal entry was um, both my daughters went um, to school in England, to college, and um, I took my youngest one over there to leave her off at school. And um, I uh, wrote about it, and uh, it just stirs up all kinds of things in me, just even reading this. In the fall of 2002, my daughter, Megan, and I flew to the sheeplands of Lancashire County, just south of England's Lake District. I was dropping her off for her freshman year abroad. And we had spent a couple of days in London seeing all the sights that interested her. We went to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum to see Diana, the Princess of Wales, St. Paul's Cathedral, where Princess Di married, 
Kensington Palace, the location of Princess Di's London apartment. We went to Buckingham Palace, home of the royals, and where Princess Di spent a lot of time. We went to Westminster Chapel, where Princess Di's funeral was held. We went to the Albert and Elizabeth's Museum, where Princess Di's wedding dress, valued at 9,000 pounds with a 25-foot train and the finest lace, is on display. You get the picture. We walked, shopped, and ate throughout London, always wondering if Princess Di walked, shopped, or ate here as well. It was exclusively a father-daughter tour of London. Next trip, I hope to make it to the Imperial War Museum. So, after London, we drove north to Megan's school. We did the tour, signed the papers, wrote a check, set up her room while meeting her six roomies. As the time to leave approaches, my emotions are building like water behind a cracking dam. I'm leaving her alone, thousands of miles from home, without a friend, for nine months. She's not going to be with us for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I'm going to miss her madly. Cads, she going to be okay? Does she have enough bunny? Will she make friends? Will she starve? Are you kidding me? English school cafeteria food? She's going to die. I'm thinking all this, and it comes time to walk out to the car together. She takes my hand, and she tells me she loves me, assuring me and herself that everything will be okay. And then she says, Goodbye, Dad. I'm reading this uh, even now, and I've read it before. And the tears just come to my eyes. And as then, I couldn't speak. No, really, I couldn't speak. And I didn't have to. She saw the submerged eyes and quivering lip. We hugged as long and as hard as we could. And I muttered, Okay, gotta go. I love you. <sighs> and I drove away. The cracking dam broke. As I headed off to spend the night in a room above a pub a couple of kilometers away and then drive back to London the next day and fly home. Kneeling up alongside of the bed, my head was buried in my hands as I cried for hours. Actually, I was wailing as I never had or have since. It was an odd mix of grief, the grief of saying goodbye, the loss of her presence, her life, her smile, the cuddling. Hell, I was even grieving her messy room, her ignoring the curfew, and absolutely not helping in any capacity around the house. Oh, there was a cohort of shame and condemnation. I love her. I miss her already. And I'm a lousy man and a father. All my failures, all my moments of anger and unfiltered words pass before me. The times when I was absent of love, wasn't listening, just flooded my mind. And I quickly went, I'm a pathetic failure. I haven't ever lived well. My life is a charade. Gosh, I love her. Man, am I a jerk. I was a wreck. Somewhere in the mix was the craving, the desire, the need, the hunger, the obsessing, the thirsting, to be a man who loves well. 
I was barraging God with the desire to change, with my desire to love, to be like Christ, to live well, to surrender, to repent, to live like him and give my all was an overwhelming sense of grief, failure, and desire. I went downstairs in a short break for a black sheep bitter downstairs. Didn't alleviate or give pause to my anguish. It can't. I miss her. I'm a mess. And in all of that, back up in the room, something changed. I was no longer alone. It was as if God was sitting cross-legged in a small chair in the corner of the room, honoring my emotional deconstruct and then finally speaking up. And he said to me, Craig, look at your heart. Look at all you feel for your daughters and your wife. Look at what's inside of you. Look at your heart. This is the true you, the truest thing about you. It's true. Your heart is good. A seagull couldn't feel these things, the pain, the longing, the love. All spoke of a substance, a person, the very person I longed to be, but assumed was still decades out in the future, if ever. Now the truth is, I have a good heart. I'm a good man, a good father. Our woundedness defines so much of our identity, and it's not true. Our parenting speaks of a crucial, core, deeper, truer identity. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you loved it. We love getting your feedback as well. If you're enjoying these podcasts and would like to leave us a comment, please visit the iTunes store and do so. And by the way, all of our audio resources are now available for purchase through the iTunes store. You can find our resources and our other podcasts by searching for either Ransomed Heart or John Eldridge on the iTunes store. And to find out more about Ransomed Heart, our podcasts, our events, and all of the things that we're offering and doing, come to our website at www.ransomedheart.com.